The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 1? Acts chapter 1. We began last week in the book of Acts, and we began by looking at chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. And today we're going to continue on beginning in verse 4. And I want to remind you that uh, if you want to study along with us deeper than what we're doing on Sunday morning, some of the life groups are studying the book of Acts. You can do it in your own homes. And there's uh, notes available in the information center. You can get a hard copy or you can wait and go online. And every day, uh, every Sunday, the notes and the sermon is posted and you can study along with us. Acts is a sequel to the book of the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we have the opportunity of following on to see how the early church followed Jesus in the 30 years after the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. And so uh, Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, and if you're able to stand with me, let's stand together as we listen to God's Word read. On one occasion, and I pause there to say one occasion during the 40 days that Jesus was with the disciples before the ascension. So on one occasion in those 40 days, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after He said this, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid Him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as He was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. May God bless his word. Before you sit down, would you turn to someone around you, maybe you don't know, get their first name, greet them in the Lord, and say welcome. Would you do that now? From the scripture that we just read, you can tell that according to Luke, There is just one thing that Jesus gave his apostles, his early church followers to do following the ascension. There was just one directive that Jesus gave for them to do. Now, we know that there were other directives earlier in those 40 days when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey me, baptizing them, and so on. But this is the very last words of Jesus and this, this is the how they do that kind of part, portion of it. And in that how of they doing that, there's this one directive. He says, go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift that my Father has promised, the Holy Spirit. There's just one directive. Go to Jerusalem, wait. Wait is the directive. Now, I wonder how many of you parents of young children, when you're going out for an evening, have various directives that you give to the babysitter before you leave for a few hours. Jesus was leaving to go return to the Father, His eternal home, and He has more only one directive. 
And I wonder if babysitters get more than one directive, like this child needs this, and there's where the food is, and that's where the snack is, and this is bedtime, and here's an emergency number, and, and Jesus says, wait. Just wait. Not sure how babysitters would do if they were just told wait, and then they weren't told how long do we wait. You see, the scriptures tell us that we are given the details of how long they had to wait. We're, we know from our vantage point, they waited 10 days. From the ascension of Christ to the day of Pentecost, 10 days they waited. The disciples didn't know how long they were going to wait. And so wait was all that they were given. Their knowledge and their experience of the Holy Spirit at this point in time is very limited. You can read in John 14 to 17 the bulk of information and teaching that they had received about the Holy Spirit to date. But their experience of the Holy Spirit was very much attached to and dependent on Jesus. So they were led by the Spirit because they were led by Jesus. Jesus is going to the Father, and now what are they going to do? They have not yet been indwelt by the Spirit of God, and baptized by the Spirit of God, possessed by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God to them was still an idea, a theology, a teaching. They were not told how long they would need to wait. They were also not told what they were to do while they were waiting. Now, I don't know about you, but how, how are you at waiting? What do you do when you have to wait? How do you occupy the time? You have to wait for a job interview, a phone call, a response from a doctor. When you're waiting to go to sleep at night and you're laying there, have you, what do you do when you wait? Interesting, nowadays we, we still call them waiters. And um, it, it's not like Doubt Abbey, is it? When you go to a restaurant, you know, they're, they're sort of standing at the edge watching you eat and waiting for you to... Oh, it looks like you need some. You're going you're gonna to probably wait longer for the waiter then the waiter is waiting for you in a restaurant. How are you waiting? What do you do when you're waiting? Well, the disciples could not call any place. I think we live in one of the most impatient cultures in, in, our, in, in history. But the disciples didn't have an opportunity to go online and figure out the answer. Couldn't Google it. No 1-800 number. No service provider that could change things for them. How many of you had the automated voice on a phone call? We are experiencing a higher than average volume of calls. <laughs> Please stay on the line and one of our representatives will talk to you shortly. And we've wasted 30 minutes of our precious day. We're not good at waiting. It's one of the reasons why I think a mission trip is a good thing because we go to a culture where the value that is placed on time and money is very different. I remember this came home to me especially true in Bolivia when I was, I was going down to the Cancha. The Cancha in Bolivia and Cochabamba is this 12 city blocks of, of little, little tiendas or stores about 6 feet wide, 10 feet deep. And they're all just, they just sell anything down there. You just got to find the right area. And I came by at lunchtime, and at lunchtime, many of the indigenous people in Bolivia that work in the Cancha, they just have a different view of time and money than you and I do. And so this woman was eating her bowl of soup and her bread for lunch. She had put a blanket across her little tienda, and yet I saw at the back of her store 
this very thing that I wanted, and I wanted to buy 10 of them. I think it was for a team or it was Christmas presents I was bringing home. I forgot what it was, but I remember thinking, lady, you want me. This gringo's got something to help you with, you know. And, and she, she just ignored me. She's eating her lunch. This was her break. And, and there was a different view of time and money. We have a, a view of time and money that has been sculpted into us by our culture around us. We've been ingrained into thinking certain ways. Well, the disciples just had to wait. They just had to wait. They couldn't do anything about it. And what they do when they waited for the Holy Spirit to come, it says in the Scriptures they prayed. Verse 14, you'll notice it says they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they didn't stress, they didn't fret, they didn't get impatient, they didn't worry, not that we're told. They prayed. Now, can I just take in a little aside here for a moment and just speak of a matter that I think is interesting. Here it is in this scripture, verse 14. <clears throat> Why is it that Luke feels that he has to put in the phrase, along with the women? Like, why didn't he say along with the men, too? Like, what's that all about? Well, it's, it's partly because historically and in cultural terms, first century Palestine, Hebrew culture, was very clearly defining the role of women in their society. And even synagogue rulers and leaders that had the Old Testament would go overboard on restricting what women would do or could do in the synagogue and in the religious practices of Judaism at that time. And though we do not all agree probably on the role of women in, in church, because we could read the New Testament and have various interpretations of things, the one thing that I think is very clear is that when it comes to such a basic matter as someone in our midst coming to address God the Father in an assembly, it should be pretty clear that everybody's got a voice there. And what I think... Luke is doing in Acts chapter 1 in the first community of faith that is assembling after the resurrection and before the ascension is that Luke is signaling we got a brand new norm that we're going to set here. This is a brand new community of faith, a redeemed community, and when it comes to something like coming before the Father as a family of believers, Children and women and men and every member of the family has got a voice with the Father. So whether you're in a life group at home, whether you're in a, a meeting of business with White Ridge Church, or whether you're here in a worship service or before the Lord's table or whatever it might be, let it be clear that we, like the early church, do not want to place any further restrictions on some sector of our church family, like women than what God himself has placed on them. Amen? So as far as I can see, chapter 1 of Acts is very clearly stating that when you have to wait for something, you should occupy it praying. I mean, think about it. Does it not make rational sense that you, in waiting for something, don't know what the outcome of what you're waiting for is going to be? What is the phone call what is the doctor going to say on the phone call? When will I get to sleep? 
When is that first child going to come? When will I meet Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so? You know, how is it that we wouldn't want to pray when we know that God is the all-knowing one? We can go to Him. He's the one we should do. We should occupy our time praying. We're in a season in our church life when prayer must become more like breathing. Maybe a good way of thinking of it, I've thinking this past week about it, is, is the analogy of scuba diving versus snorkeling. I have only ever snorkeled, uh, and, and I just love snorkeling. I, I just can't imagine. It, it's, it's like there's this world up here, and then as soon as you dip beneath the ocean or wherever you're going, if the water's so clear, if you've got the right equipment, you can just see everything. It's a worship service. It's the coral reef, the incredible creatures that God has made. And yet I, I can only snorkel. I've all, all, all I've done is snorkeling. And so when I go down, I, I take a big gulp of air, and I go down, and I'm there for 20, maybe 30 seconds, and then I've got to leave the worship alone, come back up and breathe again. You see... Our life, our conscious awareness of the presence of God by the Spirit of God is, is like that going down into the, into the ocean. Another world. You walk by people on the street that do not know the Lord, do not have a relationship with Jesus. They know nothing of what exists in that world with God the Father. As you behold Him in His glory, as you listen for His voice and guidance in prayer, as you lay your requests before Him, it's an incredible opportunity. And the question I ask is, why don't I go there often, more often? And why, why shouldn't we be looking at trying to increase our capacity to stay longer down there in prayer? I think that what I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit of God is the oxygen that we need to learn how to pray as, as we need to learn how to pray. And that just like Jesus' disciples said to, them, to him one day, teach us how to pray. I think we need to say to Jesus by the Spirit of God, teach us how to pray. Not just the words, the form, the theology, but just teach us how to pray. Romans 8 says, we do not know how we ought to pray, how we ought to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us. We need the Spirit to help us to learn how to pray. So if you're waiting, like the disciples are waiting, we need to learn how to pray. I hope that many of you are going to sign up to pray for the police services in Winnipeg next week. I think we need to be much in prayer right now for God's plans for our new building. We're waiting to see how God is going to provide for the needed funds in our budget, how God will guide the contractors and the sub-trades, how God will work when we, con when we begin construction, how God will intervene in our applications that we submitted to the city. How God is going to help us in, in our relationship with the credit union. How God is going to, how we need to wait upon God as we think about the kind of relationship that we need to have with Fort White Alive and with Lafarge, our neighbors on McGilvery property. We must pray for the next owner of this building on Skirfield that it might be a faith community that buys this building that will have a bold witness for Jesus Christ. We want this space to still testify about Jesus. Amen? 
We want to pray as well that God's leading would be upon our relationship with Winnipeg Samong Presbyterian Church, Pastor Sehun and their leadership, that they would go with us to the new property and continue witness. We want to pray that the White Ridge Child Care group that's downstairs will follow with us and go and start another place that we can have a relationship with the community and meet a, a strategic need in this community. You see, there's much to be doing while we're waiting, folks. That's the point of Scripture. We cannot be sitting around with twiddling thumbs and idle hands. There's much to be doing. What is it that, that's to be done? It's prayer. It's pray, man. Every time you get together with someone that's on the same page in our church family about what's coming and what God's got for us, why don't you take some time to pray? You're out for lunch. Don't just pray for the food. Pray for the church. Pray for God to give us wisdom. You're at your life group. Pray for the church. Pray for God's leading upon us. The Holy Spirit would lead us. Now, what did the early believers pray in those 10 days? I think we could take an educated guess. If the last words that Jesus said to you were, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, what do you think the prayer request is going to be? Patience, amen. And come, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Come, Holy Spirit, because we got no other plan, nothing else to do until you come. And I think that should be our prayer, too. Come, Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, we don't know what the next steps are in construction. We don't know how it is the next ministry is going to unfold. We know things now about 2016 that we didn't begin 2016 knowing. How is it that God's going to direct us in 2017 in ways that we today don't know? Come, Holy Spirit. You got the plan, and we're available. We're ready. We'll follow. Secondly, I want to move on to say that there was a, a, a problem with the disciples in looking backward in dead tradition instead of forward in fresh faith. You see, when you want to get on to God's agenda, sometimes you need to leave your agenda aside. And that is very real in this passage. In verse 6, we see it where the disciples say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, what's that all about? Well, unfortunately, you see, the disciples were stuck. They were stuck in a, a teaching and a training and a thinking that had come down to them from generations past. It was a, a thinking about what the Messiah would be all about. What would Jesus be like? What would be this Messiah figure? They had an idea that this is the way it had to be. It started in the Exodus when, when Jesus or when the king would come and set up a, a, a kingly, an earthly uh, nation, a, an independent political entity. It got its zenith in David. The, the best time in Israel's history was David and, and how the closest thing to a theocracy on earth was when David reigned and ruled. And then with Solomon, it kind of got a little bit weaker, and then divided kingdom came, and it started to fall apart. And ever since that time, every Israelite was taught that when the Messiah comes, he's going to restore the kingdom of David, but he's going to do it right. He's going to do it perfectly, and Israel will be set up as an independent state, and then the world will see that we are God's chosen people. And that's what they were thinking. And so they said to Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, I think we need to reinterpret Judas. 
And I read this, and I think there's a good case for reinterpreting Judas. In the sense that Judas was no fool, no greedy fool that was just after 30 pieces of silver. But rather, Judas was all in to this vision of the Messiah that he had been taught since he was an infant. And he was perhaps a zealot, ready to put it on the line and do it. And by him betraying Jesus, some have suggested that he was forcing the hand of Jesus. He was forcing the hand of Jesus to do what he believed Jesus alone could do as the real Messiah. He was going to force the hand of Jesus. And when he walked into that garden of Gethsemane and he led the soldiers and he led the Jewish uh, leaders into that garden and, and he kissed Jesus on the cheek, he fully expected in his mind that Jesus would rise up then and conquer that group and set up Israel as that as the nation on earth it was supposed to be. That's what some people have taught. I think it's got some credibility. Why else would he go before the crucifixion of Jesus? Why else would he go back to the Jewish leaders, to the high priest, throw the 30 pieces of silver down and say, I have betrayed an innocent man. And then he went out and hung himself. Why did he hang himself? He hung himself because Jesus didn't turn out to be the Jesus he thought he was. Didn't be, he wasn't the Messiah that he thought he was. He didn't wait a few more days to see that he would be crucified and that he would be raised from the dead. Oh, that Judas would have waited just a few more days. He had seen who Jesus was and is. We need to be careful if we've put Jesus in a box because of errant teaching, because of something that we have come to believe, because of something that did or didn't happen in our lives to date. We need to be careful that we don't put Jesus in a box. Jesus responds in verse 7. I love what he says. I think these words are so pertinent for us today. He said, it is not for you to know the times and the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. Now let's stop there. It is not for you to know the times and the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. Now, what is Jesus saying? He's saying to his disciples then, he's saying to us now, that it is not for us to know everything that God's going to do on this earth. That he is going to keep us on a need-to-know basis. It's not for us to know times and dates and seasons. The two words that are being used here for times is chronos. For dates and seasons is, is kairos. These are the two main Greek words for time. Chronos is like, how do you age? How is your chronology full unfolding in your life? That's your chronos. It's not for you to know your chronos ahead of time. You're not going to know how you age and all the things that will come into your path. God doesn't tell you ahead of time. We heard about that in the testimony this morning. And your kairos, the word kairos, is not just any time, but a special time, a visitation time. It might be good from our perspective, it might be bad interpreted, but it's a special time. 
It's like, when are you going to meet that special someone that you're going to spend the rest of your life with? When is that child going to be born to us? Well, will cancer come to our home? Or what will happen, and when will Jesus Christ return? And Jesus says, it's not for you or I to know the times and the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. That's a tough thing to, re- to realize. We want to be in control. We, we, we sometimes think that we'd like to know if God could tell us ahead of time some things, but it's not for us to know, is it? And so if it's not for us to know those things, what is it for us to know? Well, he goes on in verse 8 to say, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now there's so much in verse 8. It's the theme verse of our series. You can see it on the banners at the front. And let's unpack it just briefly. First of all, I want to say that verse 8 and the geographical scope of verse 8 is a rough outline of the entire book of Acts. Verses one, or chapters 1 to 7 all takes place within Jerusalem. That's where it all begins. Can you imagine that this group of, of early followers of Jesus Christ, that these words were spoken to, were called to go back to Jerusalem and wait there for the Holy Spirit to come. And when they got there, guess who was still there? Well, the Sanhedrin was still there, the 70 Jewish leaders that, cruci- that condemned Jesus Christ to be crucified. All the soldiers, the crosses were still out on the hill. And they were being told to go back to Jerusalem and preach a risen, living Jesus Christ in the very place where he had been condemned and crucified less than two months earlier. This is a hard call. I'm not sure how bold you and I would have ever been. Of course, if the Holy Spirit came on us, we could be bold. That's why he said, wait. And then in chapters 8 to 12, the next section is Judea and Samaria. And we see the gospel go to that area. And Samaria, now that's a tough place to go. The disciples understood full well, that's the place you avoided when you were traveling north or south, between Galilee and Jerusalem. You avoided Samaria. Those were the half-bloods, the centuries of hostility that existed between the Jewish people and the, and the Samaritans. And then, yet Jesus is saying, you're going to be witnesses in, in Samaria. You're going to go to Samaria, and you're going to tell them about a forgiving God. Tough call. And then he says, to the ends of the earth. Now, these men that Jesus spoke these words to probably had not traveled more than 100 miles from home. In fact, from Galilee down south to Jerusalem, where they are when they received these words, was 100 miles. That's about as far as they probably had ever gone from home. And they're being told they're going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Well, they didn't get to the ends of the earth, did we? By the time we get to 20, chapter 28 next November in, in our series, they're in Rome. But you know what? That's because Acts continues today. The book of Acts continues today. And the word of God is continuing to spread. And we, were not, we are not eyewitnesses like these people that Jesus spoke to were. We're not eyewitnesses of his life and his teaching and his death and his burial and his resurrection and his ascension. 
But we believe that we are still called to be witnesses. We are empowered, baptized by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. And our witness is twofold. First of all, it is on the objectivity of all the, the, the history that they were eyewitnesses of. So it is important that when we bear witness, we speak to someone about Jesus, it is important that we have an historical faith. We talk about the fact that he died and rose again is, is critical to the gospel message we share. But you see, for a witness to truly be a witness, just like in today's courts, you have to have been an eyewitness. You have to have had a personal encounter, something personal to testify about. And so you and I also need a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. When we call or called upon to share about Jesus, it's, it's something that we personally experienced. So there's an objective and a subjective element to how we bear witness, what we talk to someone about when we share Jesus. It's incredible the opportunity we have. Oswald Chambers once said that we dare not try and do what only God can do, and God will not do what He has called us to do. And so we need Him to bear witness. Notice very clearly that God has said here in His Word that we will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be His witnesses. We, we can't just sort of have a love-in with the Holy Spirit, thinking that it's all about us having nice relationships with each other in the church and, and, and being patient and all the fruit of the Spirit being manifest. It's about being witnesses. It's about taking this incredible message to the lives of others. You see, they don't know Jesus. They don't know what it means to be fully, truly human, the way God intended all humans created in His image to be. And if they don't ever meet Jesus, how will they know? And if, if we're not the ones to introduce them to Jesus, who on earth is going to introduce them to Jesus? And that's what it's all about. It's all about introducing them, inviting them to come and meet Jesus. You don't have to coerce anybody. You don't have to win one argument. You don't have to cajole or pressure or convince anybody of anything. You're not under any of that Pressure. God will not ask you to do what only He can do by His Spirit. But you are asked to be a witness. And witnesses, I don't know if you've ever been to a court of love, but as far as I know, witnesses have to open their mouths at some point and say something. So I'm asking you to turn in your little bulletin pink sheet right now. Take out that pink sheet and you'll notice there that there is... Three questions for reflection and discussion at the bottom. And the three questions, the first question is this, or the third question, sorry, is this. It says, who are some of the awakening souls that God has placed in your life to share Christ with? I want you to think about that. If, if no one comes to mind today and right now, then that's fine, but would you try in the next day or two to put a name or two or more in that space at the bottom of that pink sheet, put it in your Bible or keep it close to you, and would you determine that you'll start daily praying for that person? You'll pray for yourself that you'll be the witness you need to be, that you will be given opportunity and boldness and, and, and words to say, I'm not asking you to force something. I'm not asking you to push something on somebody this week. 
We can all blow it that way. I'm asking you to just say, Holy Spirit, you open the gates, you open the doors, you open the hearts, and and we're going to trust God. Share it with your life group. Share it with your family. Have them praying for that person and for you as well. What an incredible opportunity. It came to my attention this past week that I'm not preaching the book of Acts this year to 300 and some people. The, The book of Acts is not, we're not just studying it for us. I think we're studying it for hundreds of other people that are meant to benefit from our study of the book of Acts. I think we're going to see so many stories in the book of Acts about what it means to testify that we're going to be motivated and empowered also to testify. And Jesus is going to be glorified as we do so. May God be glorified in us together. And, uh, and I trust that today you'll make a, a decision that you're going to seek this year to be a witness in the lives of those that Holy Spirit puts in your pathway, puts on your mind. You, you know hundreds of unsaved people, and you're not responsible for all of them, but God the Spirit will give you those that you're responsible to share with in 2017. May God bless us. I... Uh... Hope that on this particular message, especially, when you go home, maybe twice this week, you'll turn it on and listen to it again. There's things here that our pastor has said that every one of our hearts have to hear. God wants to do tremendous things. And he has his own idea of what that should be. We have our ideas. And God says, you have to wait. And the waiting allows a spirit of change in our hearts. So that our agenda conforms to his. And that's a mighty message that we have to hear. Did you hear me? Preachers don't preach that anymore. Listen to it. Oh God, bless our hearts with the challenge of waiting. The kind of waiting that transforms our hearts and our lives so that we know your will and we know your way and we think the way you do so that your spirit as we welcome it into our church, can guide us in your ways. Amen.